James chapter 5. Uh, we are looking at verses 7 through 11. I have broken verse 12 off. Some would do it differently. That's the way I've done it. We're going to talk about verse 12 all by itself on another day. Verses 7 through 11. Patience or a word related to patience appears six times in these five verses. So there is no doubt that this is about patience. Most of the headings in your Bible will say this talks about patience in suffering. And I think that's right. The examples given are the prophet, uh, the examples given are the farmer, and given is Job. It starts with therefore as well, which links it back to the unjust rich. So as I thought about introducing this topic today, I thought I would engage some help. You see, I have a nine-week-old puppy. She's a German shepherd, and her name is Duchess. And if you, and she doesn't want to come inside. And if you want to talk about patience... A puppy requires patience. Isn't that right, Duchess? Yeah, she doesn't like it when I hold her like this. Let's see if she'll do it. Can you get, you're going to get a good shot? We're on this camera. Do you see, you see my puppy? And my puppy has a Cedarville yellow jacket, bandana on. Yeah. And I don't know if you can see it, but this is a Cedarville leash as well. And so you, you don't like it when I hold you like this, do you? Are you going to talk to them? Yeah. She doesn't like it, no. When, when, when you're training a puppy to behave and not bite and to not go potty inside or on the chapel stage, we hope, um, it takes patience, right? Right, Duchess? All right, so we've been working on training for a whole nine days now. Duchess, can you sit? Can you sit? Okay, hold on, watch this. Duchess, do you smell that? Duchess, can you sit? Ah, yeah. There you go, girl. Yeah. Duchess, come on. Come on. Come on. See, she's learning. And then when we stop, Duchess, can you sit? Can you sit? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know how to do it. You know how to do it. Duchess, can you go to Rachel? Can you go to Rachel? Can you go to Rachel? Oh, yeah. She's got it down good. These things right here really help, right? Hey, Duchess, do you want to come to me? You can let her go. Let her go. Go back over there. Here, take one of those. Okay, come here, girl. Sit. Ah, yeah. I'll give you a little more. Okay, you want to go over to Rachel? Gotcha. Come on. Come here. Say, no, he's got the treats. He's got the treats. She's got treats, too. She does. Here you go. Okay, come on. Let's go, the, let's go this way. Come on, Duchess. Come on. Say, no. Okay. Here. You got it? All right. So you will see Duchess. Thank you, Rachel, for helping me out with that. Now she doesn't want to leave the stage either. Yeah, it takes patience. You know, there, there's, there's something else. I, I didn't do it. I didn't know how it would go. She was doing pretty well. When you teach a dog to stay, anybody ever trained a dog to stay? You tell them to stay. She has no clue what that word means. And then you put a treat down and you tell the dog to stay. And then the dog's supposed to stay till you tell it to release to come and get the treat. It takes patience, and it takes learning patience. Making sure a dog doesn't, well, that dog's gotten us up in the middle of the night every night last week. It takes patience. That's why God made puppies so cute, is because you can't be mad at them when you get up in the middle of the night because they just look so cute, and so you have to still like them, <laughs> I guess. Um, so patience is required when you're, I tried to work that in. Did that work? We're talking about patience, and I wanted to show you guys my dog. It's good enough anyway. All right, we'll keep going. All right, patience. You have to have patience. Again, back to the text. Six times in five verses. 
Patience. Be patient. Be patient. Be steadfast. The steadfastness of Job. Over and over and over, you get this repetition. So am I driving home the main point of the text today? What are we talking about? Patience. Patience. We can do a little better than that. What are we talking about? Patience. All right, there we go. So now let's, Duchess. Who said Duchess? Shame on you. All right. Uh, James chapter 5, verse 7 through 11. We're going to read the text. Would you stand in honor of the reading of the text? How do we start? Be patient. Therefore, linking it back to the prior section, brothers, we've transitioned off of the harsh words. We're back to brothers. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Dear Lord, as we look at this text today, I confess to you that this is something in my life I've always struggled with, and I suspect for many of us here, Lord, being patient does not come easy. It does not come natural. So Lord, as we look at this text, as we look at our lives, may you help us to see clearly who we are, how we can become more mature followers of Christ, and Lord, help us to catch a glimpse of the glory of your coming, which is how we can endure during this life. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen, and you may be seated. The first point that we have this morning is be patient when experiencing cruelty. Look at verse 7. It starts out with the command, be patient. And then it says, therefore. Therefore, as you know, you always look to see what is there for. You look behind, you look ahead, you look at the context. It's saying this is not a standalone passage. This is connected. The last time that I spoke on this in chapel, we talked about uh, the rich. We talked about those who were the wicked rich, the evil rich, the evil rich who actually engaged in cruelty to those. So those rich who engaged in cruelty are the ones that James is saying to us now, be patient. This word, be patient, macrothumia in the Greek, comes from macros, meaning long, and thumos, meaning tempered, so literally long-tempered. Now, I would suspect we probably have many in the room that have at one point in your time, and perhaps still do, struggled with being short-tempered or quick-tempered. I see some of you smiling. I understand that you probably have the same struggle that I had at one point in time in my past. It's one of the graces of the Lord as I look back at my life. I used to be much more quick-tempered. You can ask my wife. I've told you stories about flag football. You know that this is something that, that I've struggled with. And here we see that being a mature follower of Christ is not to be quick-tempered. It's not to lose your temper. It's to be long-tempered. I don't like that. But that's what the Bible tells us. Merriam-Webster's, when you look at what it says, says, bearing pains or trials calmly or without complaint. Oh, we're not good at that either, are we? We like to complain. We like to grumble. We like to talk about how bad things are. Manifesting forbearance under provocation or strain. Not hasty, not impetuous, steadfast, despite opposition. 
difficulty or adversity. John Christensen, one of the church fathers, would say it this way, quote, the spirit which could take revenge if it liked but utterly refuses to do so. So notice what James is telling us here. The wicked rich, the cruel rich, those who hoard, those who use fraud to get rich, those who oppress and demonstrate cruelty and indulge in their richness, how do we react as the poor? How do we react as those who are being mistreated, who those who have experienced that cruelty? Are we to respond with violence? Are we to respond with grumbling and complaining and talking about how bad they are? James says, no. James says to us, we are to respond with what? Patience. Be patient. And immediately all of us react and say, I don't like that, James. I I don't want to be patient. I want to start a political revolution. I want to start a war. James, I don't like that. I want to say, let's take it out behind the barn and settle it that way. But that's not biblical maturity. That's not Christian wisdom. James here says, be patient, therefore, brothers. And he uses that term brothers repeatedly in here. He has changed his tone until the coming of the Lord. The coming of the Lord is our hope. It's all a matter of perspective. We can remain patient in this life because we look at the perspective of everything and we see that the Lord is coming back and the Lord is going to set everything right and that our hope is not in this earth. Our hope is not in material possessions. Our hope is not in how others treat us in this life. Our hope is in Christ alone. And that makes everything okay. We can endure hardship. We can endure suffering. We can endure conflict. We can endure cruel words because we hope not in ourselves. We hope not in others. We hope not in acceptance, but we hope hope one day that the coming king is going to come and set everything right and make all things new. And that is our hope that gets us through no matter what we face in this life. That's what we hope in. It's the coming of the Lord. We look up close at our lives sometimes. We see a picture of shattered glass. But when we back up to perspective, we see the tapestry of the stained glass that God is weaving to his glory. Because we see the bigger picture. We look sometimes and we get caught up in our own mess, our own stuff. And we become introspective and we become depressed and we look at ourselves and we say, I can't do anything. I can't get out of this. And James is telling us, you're going to set your hope. You're going to set your heart. You're going to be patient because the coming of the Lord is near. And that is where our hope is. You think about an illness. Think about somebody who's diagnosed with an illness and they go to the doctor and the doctor tells them, we have no clue what's wrong with you, how to treat it or what's going to happen. We don't know anything. That's a depressing state. If you go to the doctor and you get a negative report and, and some of you have, even in this room this past year, you get that negative report and the doctor says you have cancer or you have this or you have that. And here's the treatment schedule. And this is how long it's going to take. And then you're going to be okay. And we expect you to make a recovery. And then you have hope. So you can undergo the difficulty of what may come because there's hope that one day you're going to be okay. And that diagnosis, that hope at the end makes all the difference in the world and hoping in Jesus Christ and his coming is what makes all the difference in the way we live our lives it's the spiritual maturity of this life knowing that we don't live just for now but we live for eternity you understand this how many of you think your dorm rooms are too big anybody nobody but you live in a small dorm room with another person a roommate which sometimes helps teach you patience 
But you do so, and you're okay with it, because you're not going to be there forever. You go through tests. You go through midterms. You go through exams. You go through reading and reading and more reading, and then studying what you've read, and then rereading what you didn't understand about what you read. And you go through all of this to get a degree, to graduate, because there's hope that you're going to be in a career one day earning money and being able to do what God has created you to do so that you can live your life for Him. That hope is what gets you through what we call college. Some of you may not feel that hope right now, but the first or second week in May, you will feel the hope. How many of you are seniors in the room today? Yeah. The hope is coming. It's there. It won't be long. You'll be walking across the stage. He gives us an example. He says here, see how the farmer waits. Clement, the Greek church father, informed us that James and his brother Jude were farmers. Obvious reason that James would choose this if he's a farmer. He understands. The farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until he receives it. He talks about the early and the late rains. Deuteronomy 11, verses 13 and 14, talks about the Lord providing the early rains and the late rains if Israel obeyed. It was part of their agricultural process, probably an allusion to Joel 2, 23 and 24 here as well. We understand how the farmers work. We live in an area where we can see it. We look at the farmers and we know that they can't control when their crops come up. We know that weeds grow faster than the actual crops do and that just doesn't seem right. We understand, all of us right now especially, that sometimes Mother Nature plays cruel tricks on us, like sending a really warm spell so that the flowers come up, and then all of a sudden saying, nope, not yet, got you there. I'm going to send a week of really cold weather, and I'm going to kill everything that came up too soon. And so we have a warning right now for all of the weather advisories to say to the farmers and those who have plants out, bring your plants inside, cover them up, take protection. You can't do that with a full field of stuff, can you? If it doesn't rain enough, what happens? It dies. If it rains too much, what happens? It mildews. You can see where the rain is stuck in various puddles and the corn in that area doesn't grow. And you look at the field of corn and you see this one area where it didn't grow because there was too much rain. the, The ground was too soggy in that one area. The farmer can't control any of that. The farmer works hard. The farmer does everything he could possibly do. But the farmer has to wait patiently, has to wait with anticipation on the day when the fruit will come forth. We have to be patient. I struggle with patience. Anybody in the room struggle with me? Yeah. All right. Let me give you some examples and see if I can get a few more hands up. This is why we invented microwaves. (laughs) And this is why we don't have crock pots in the dormitories. It's TV commercials. Anybody like TV commercials anymore? Only during the Super Bowl or only if you're a video person, right? It's thinking spring is here for Mother Nature to pull a gotcha the week after spring break. It's the line at the DMV, like Flash and Zootopia. I can't watch that full slaw scene. I can't get through it. It starts driving me crazy when he's tapping on the screen. And then when they tell the joke, I'm done. I can't do it. I have to stop it. Or fast forward, either way. But that kind of ruins the whole effect. And so I can't do it. It's red lights. Anybody like red lights? It's the guy who drives in the fast lane below the speed limit. (laughs) 
You all lack patience too. I can see it. <laughs> I, I think if James were alive today, James would give that guy a come on, man. I mean, I, I think that's what I do when I see them. Come on, man. Get over. There's three other lanes. You move out of the way. It's why McDonald's has two lanes to order now instead of one. Because, you know, cooking my lunch in three minutes wasn't fast enough already. So I have to have two lanes so that I can order it faster to get up there faster so that I can make sure that I'm out with whatever it is they feed us in less than three minutes. It's when you look around this room and notice that there are about 26 different access points in here because if your Bible app, when you open it up, takes more than 2.6 seconds to download the text, well, then I'm done. I'm just not going to look at the Word today. They're all over the place in here. It's amusement parks where we wait in line to ride rides that are once-in-a-lifetime rides that previous generations never had the thought of being able to ride something like this, but we can't even wait 30 minutes in line to ride them, so we have fast passes. Because fast passes let you bypass all those people, those poor people who are waiting in line for all of that time they're wasting of their lives so that we can go right past them and get in line, and we'll pay more for the fast passes because the fast passes make all the difference. It's going to a restaurant where I wait to be seated, where I sit down, I wait to order, I wait to get my food, and then I wait to get the check, and the restaurant has the nerve to call the guy that's the server the waiter when I'm the one doing all the waiting. <laughs> Admit it. How many of you struggle with patience? We all do. It's patience when you're waiting on your grades to come back from that test that you really want to know how well you did. It's patience when waiting on the grad school to say you're accepted or you're not accepted. It's patience when waiting on the internship to come. Patience. We have a second point here. It's patience when you're dealing with cruelty of the unjust rich. It's patience when you're dealing with conflict. You also be patient. Verse 8, you see it there. It's repetition. In God's Word, when you see repetition of commands that closely together, we take note, we understand this is the main point. You also be patient. It says, establish your hearts. If you're reading out of the NIV, it says to set your hearts. It says to, to stand firm. It says to make sure that you are standing firm for the Lord is coming. You also be patient. Stand firm, set your hearts, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Uh, we immediately respond and think, well, the coming of the Lord is at hand. This was written a long time ago. What does that really mean? And Peter helps us out here in 2 Peter 3, 8, where he tells us that a thousand years with the Lord is like one day. And so we respond, it's only really been a couple of days. In the mind of the Lord, in the years of the Lord, it's been a very short time. The coming of the Lord is now closer at hand than it was even when James wrote this. So we know the coming of the Lord could be at any moment. It could be soon. And we endure and we have patience because of that. We stand firm. He says in verse 9 here, when we experience this conflict, do not grumble in a command against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. For behold, the, the judge is standing at the door. The judge is right here. The judge is close. Do not grumble. He knows what we know, that when we go through difficult times, our first instinct is not to be patient. Our first instinct is to turn on everybody around us. When things are not going our way, when we are stressed out, we turn on our roommates. We turn on our friends. We turn on our families. We begin to be short. We begin to be snappy. We begin to grumble and complain. When cruelty arises, what do we typically do? Well, this generation, we go to Facebook and vent, right? We go to Twitter and talk about it. We write a blog. We go to Instagram and put up something. We complain, we grumble, 
And here, spiritual maturity, the test of true faith, which is what James is giving us. How can we be mature followers of Christ? How do we know that we have genuine faith and not the faith of the demons who believe yet are not saved? And he says to us here, be patient. He says to us, do not grumble against one another, brothers, that you may not be judged. And what does he give us here? He gives us the command to set our hearts, to establish our hearts, to stand firm. And that performs a contrast to James 5, 5, where it talked about the fattened heart. In James 5, 5, the rich in their indulgence fatten their hearts with the things of this world. Those who are mature followers of Christ set their hearts on the coming of the Lord. They establish their hearts. They stand firm because Jesus Christ is coming. So here's a spiritual maturity check. Do you complain often? Do you grumble often? If the words of your mouth are grumbling and complaining, it shows that the attitude of your heart is one that's not set on the coming of Christ. It's one that's set on, can I get things my way? Can I have things done that make me happy? Because if things don't happen the way I want them to happen, I'm going to grumble. I'm going to complain. I'm going to turn on those around me. And that demonstrates a spiritual immaturity here. James says to us, do not grumble. He gives us an example. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets. So let's be honest. We all like to have our own pity party. We talk to people. Everybody you talk to will tell you how tough something is in their life. You can talk to a three-year-old, and they will talk about how tough it is that they can't eat candy all day long or whatever it's bothering them at that particular time. You talk to a young boy, and they'll say, I can't play video games all day long. My life is just a disaster. Things are so tough. I just can't do this. And you as college students laugh at that and say, oh, how immature. But as we grow and as we get older and as we get mature at different stages of life, there's always something else that we complain about. I don't have any time. And then you get a job, and then you get married, and then you have kids, and then you realize, I really don't have any time. And the more these things happen, the more selfish we realize we are, and we complain. And James is saying here, consider the prophets. Has anybody thrown you in a well recently? No. Okay. Has anybody put you in a tree and tried to saw you in half? No. Okay. Has anybody stoned you? No. Okay. Has anybody sold you into slavery? No, I don't think so. Although I do make minimum wage. I'm not real sure how that works, but. (laughs) Has anybody taken you captive and taken you to a foreign land and told you that you had to do exactly what they told you to do and nothing else? Okay. Then be patient. Set your hearts on the coming of the Lord. Don't grumble. Don't complain. It's not mature faith. Maybe you're in this room and you do it and you know you do it. And this needs to be one of your takeaways from this message is I've got to stop complaining. I've got to stop grumbling. And I recognize that root cause is that I'm focused on now and what I want right now and instant gratification. And I recognize my culture does not help me in this. And so I need to be mature and set my hope fully on Christ. You think about a child. To a child in October, Christmas seems forever away. But to a parent in October... Christmas seems oh so close because of all the things that you have to buy and do and prepare to get ready for the coming of Christmas. 
Our perspective on this life should not be as the child where it seems oh so far away, but it should be as the adult, the mature, who says it seems oh so close. I've got so much to do before the coming of the Lord. So many people I need to share the gospel with. So much good work to be done in this earth. Lord, would you hold off a little bit longer so that we can reach more, so that more people can understand the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, just tarry a little bit longer. Be slow to anger, not willing that any should perish for just another day in your eyes, Lord, so that more can come to know you. Do we have the perspective of the child or the perspective of the parent? A chaotic heart not set on the coming of the Lord leads to a complaining tongue. Be patient. Our text continues. Be patient when suffering or experiencing catastrophe. You see it here as he moves on. Verse 11, he says, Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. We hear that We understand that that's part of why I've called this series Steadfast. Uh, You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. You have seen the purpose of the Lord. We know how the end of the book of Job is and how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And this use of the word steadfast harkens us back to the beginning of the book, chapter 1, verse 2, where he says, Count it all joy, my brothers. When you meet trials of various kinds, when you go through the suffering, count it joy, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We should expect trials. John 16, tells us that in this world we will have tribulation, but be of good cheer for God has overcome the world. 2 Timothy 2, 3, 12 tells us that indeed all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Some of you have experienced health catastrophes. Some of you have experienced medical catastrophes. Some of you have experienced financial catastrophes. Some of you have experienced relationship catastrophes. Just recently, I've been talking to several different friends uh, just in good conversations to realize that they were abused early in their childhood. And those catastrophes that happened to them have caused them enormous amounts of pain because they live in a world where you can't talk about these things, where you bring these things up and it's all people think about. And it's just heartbreaking to see the pain, the suffering that they go through, the patience that it requires to come out the other side of this. Steadfastness of Job. It's no accident that James chooses Job. Job 1.14, going through verse 19, tells us the story. A lone messenger Tells him the Sabians have taken all his oxen and donkeys and killed his servants. Another messenger comes and says, Fire consumed his sheep and the servants who were watching them. Alone he escaped to come tell him. Another comes and says, The Chaldeans have taken all the camels and executed all the servants. Verse 18 and 19, you learn that all of his children are dead when a house collapsed on them. All total, Job loses seven sons, three daughters, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 5,000 yoke of oxen, 500 females, donkeys, and many servants. He next lost his health. Boils began to come up on him. His wife told him to curse God and die. His friend said, Job, what sin have you committed that has caused God to come up on you like this? What is it that you're paying for? Job, it's your fault. And how did Job respond? Steadfast faith. Job 1.21. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Job 2.10. Shall we receive good from God and not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. 
13, 15, though he slay me, I will hope in him. 19, 25, for I know that my Redeemer lives and at the last he will stand upon the earth. I couldn't help but notice one of our recent graduates who has gone through some shattered aspects of life of her own. She put words on Facebook that I think capture the feeling when you're in the moment of going through a personal catastrophe. Shattered. This is the most accurate depiction of what my life looks like. My life has been turned upside down and broken into tiny shards. Everything I thought was sure, certain, and something I could trust suddenly left, and I ended with nothing. My heart has been shredded to pieces, and I don't know how it will be whole again. I am broken. My spirit has been crushed. I read through the Psalms and can't help but say that's exactly how I feel. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Lord, save me. I know that in Christ there's hope and a future, but it's not the one I thought he wanted. All the dreams I spent so long thinking and praying about have disappeared. I've started, I have to start over again. When my chest is so heavy with hurt, I have to make myself take a deep breath and keep going. Choose to get out of bed in the morning and trust that the Lord is working for my good and not my destruction because he has called me. Called me to be his child and to choose joy no matter the terrible circumstances that are thrown my way. There are new mercies every morning, even on this day. It wasn't long from watching Facebook feeds and communicating that you realize that God used terrible circumstances to lead to an incredible opportunity. Well, now she has the opportunity to serve in a junior high ministry area and to do what the Lord has called her to do. Shattered, up close, but a beautiful stained glass far away. How are you doing on this test of patience? There's some days I don't do too well. Some days I do okay. Patience, spiritual maturity, a test of true, genuine faith. How do you do? Commenting on an article before you've read it? Reacting to an argument before you understand it. Starting a test without ever reading the directions. Impatience is like the artist who when painting the image rushes rather than taking time to do the fine detailed strokes that add the depth and the beauty. It's the writer who rushes through carelessly choosing to use to be verbs every other sentence is, are, was, were, over and over again. Not taking the thought to put in the strong verbs that make writing so great. It's the sculptor or the graphic designer who rushes and leaves out the detail that shows the work that's gone into it. It's being too impatient to wait for marriage God's way. So you just shack up today. It's not being patient enough to wait on the answers to grad school, to summer internships, to job opportunities before you begin to grumble, complain, or grow depressed looking at yourself. And James says to us all, be patient. Be patient when you experience cruelty. Be patient when you experience conflict. Be patient in your circumstances. Be patient when catastrophe comes. Be patient when 
Patience is like scuba diving. If you go scuba diving, the more you exert yourself and the harder you work, all you do is burn through your air so you have to come up sooner. The best thing you can do scuba diving is sit back, relax, and look around at what is around you. Breathe slowly, breathe deeply, and wait. Be patient. Today, James offers us a reminder that our hope rests not in this world, but that we can have patience through cruelty, conflict, or catastrophe in Christ. Here's some final thoughts for you on this. Our instant gratification culture works against developing spiritual patience. So perhaps next time you're at the checkout line and you look and you see one person here and three people there and you choose the one person and it still takes longer than it did the three people. Maybe God's trying to teach you something about patience or maybe you just made a really bad choice. When you pull up to that red light and you think, is this thing ever gonna turn green? Think about patience. When you're in that fast lane and the speed limit's 70 and the car's going 65, Lord, help me to learn patience. When that test doesn't go as you thought it should or you don't get the grade back, when grad school says no, when you don't find that special someone, have patience. This is what James is saying to us. And brothers and sisters, you hear James's tone. Oh, brothers, be patient. This is the spiritual maturity that brings peace in the Christian life. Patience often develops over time and through trials. Be patient. Patience requires that perspective, that eternal perspective. Our hope is in Christ. Be patient. Patience recognizes that cruelty, conflict, and catastrophe are opportunities for spiritual growth. Don't waste them. Learn the lesson the first time. So maybe you don't have to repeat it. In your life, many of you will experience hard times. Be patient. In your life, you're gonna go through things I wish you would never have to go through. Be patient, trust in God. God is faithful, you can trust him. Psalm 46, 10, be still and know that I am God. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you with future and a hope. Galatians 6, 9, do not grow weary of good doing. Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious for anything. 1 Corinthians 13, 4, love is patient, love is kind. James 1, 4, let steadfastness have its full effect. James 1, 19, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. My brothers and sisters, let us all be patient. Dear God, we struggle with this. So help us today to be patient. Lord, help us tomorrow through wisdom of recognizing your word and Christian maturity to be patient. Lord, the next day and the next day, help us to walk in such a way that we begin to demonstrate patience. Not because of our own selves, but Lord, because you are our hope and you will never fail us. Our hope is in you. And we praise you and thank you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed.